Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in Education. I'm Trevor Matea, one of the hosts on the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Laura McLaughlin-Taddy and Stephanie Smith-Budai about their book, Nurturing Young Innovators, Cultivating Creativity in the Classroom, Home, and Community. Laura and Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trevor. I was wondering if the two of you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, right now, I am an associate professor of education at Newman University, which is right outside of Philadelphia. And one of my primary roles is to work with pre-service and in-service graduate students, teachers, on technology integration into the classroom. Um, and that really came about through my training at Drexel University and learning technologies and working with different middle uh, and high school students on building their capacity for 21st century skills of creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, and communication. How about you, Laura? Hi, Trevor. So I am also an associate professor of education, and I work uh, currently in the graduate division at um, Newman University. And my role is, you know, teaching a lot of the pre-K through fourth grade courses, um, method courses in particular, science, math, social studies. Um, And so I'm interested in teaching teachers how to um, integrate these subjects in a hands-on, creative, innovative way. So, and my background is primarily teaching early childhood. So that has been my focus. And uh, that's, you know, one reason why our book is focused on those early years as well. I'm curious how the two of you uh, came to become teachers and got interested in education. Were there experiences you had as students or um, during your careers that have most shaped your views on schools? The biggest thing I learned just going through K-12 school was that every experience I had um, was dependent on the teacher. So dependent on the teacher's passion the activities, the assignments that they brought into the classroom, that impacted the way I view school, the way I learned. And it changed year to year, depending on the teacher. So I always wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to create those more positive and exciting experiences for children. How about you, Laura? So I I was a career changer. So I my um, original background is in business. And so I did that for about 12 years and decided that I wanted to change my career. And so my my uh, experience with education was a little different um, going in as, you know, an older adult and already having different experiences. So I think um, one of the things I noticed right away was how important it is to build community in the classroom. So when I was a teacher of young children, I just found that to be critical. And so another thing that I that really struck me is the importance of uh, collaborating with families and the community, the more that we can do that, the better off their learning and our students will be. So that's another thing that really impacted me. So that as I move forward, 
in my career as later on a teacher educator, these are things that I, I find that I, you know, really focus on and being a facilitator of learning as well. It's interesting to hear you both talk about relationships in some form. So uh, the relationship between teachers and students and the relationships that teachers can foster in their classroom communities. So this book, uh, I, I think, is about technology and education. And I'm wondering how the two of you connect technology and innovation with relationship and community building. So I think basically it came about, I guess, uh, from our personal experiences. And, you know, Stephanie also has a strong background with family engagement. And it's something that I was really interested in as well. So we had written a, a prior book on how to teach the four C's in the classroom through technology. And that book um, really focused on, you know, how, how to really teach those skills. This book took those ideas, focused them more on primarily the early years, and then also we brought in this whole idea of, okay, this is great for teachers to do it, but we really need everyone involved. So we need, you know, the the home, the community, and also the classroom when we're doing these things, or else it's not going to fully work the way that it should work or could work. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I'm thinking about different parents I've interacted with in the past, and there are those who, uh, you know, tend to see things the way that I do and want to be as supportive as they can. And there are other groups of parents um, who are harder for me to connect with. Maybe it's because of their busy work schedules, um, or maybe it's because they are available, but uh, they aren't aligned with me philosophically yet, or they might view something I'm trying to do more skeptically. Can you talk about ways you would advise teachers to reach more difficult to reach parents? I think that um, teachers, I mean, some parents can be skeptical, just, and it could be because of their own educative experiences that they've had, that, and a lot of children are going to the same schools that their parents went to, so there may be some mistrust, but one of the great ways to sort of build that rapport and communication with parents who may be a little skeptical is to provide them with resources and a framework for what you want them to do at home. So, for example, makerspaces is something that we talk about in the book, and make the maker movement is just so prevalent right now in schools. But we talk about how teachers can help facilitate that process to engage parents into creating home makerspaces mm. by helping them identify materials that they would have in their home, everyday materials, old batteries. Uh, empty toilet t uh, paper rolls, different papers, things that they don't have to spend money on and give them those tools so that they, their children can go home and then do something that's related to making that connects to the curriculum. So I think building a framework for parents, giving them the resources and partner with them on that can really help with the skepticism. And so in your book, you, you talk not only about teachers and parents, but also about students and some of the new roles all of these groups might take on. Uh, such as digital citizens, innovative designers, risk takers. Can you speak a little bit to how school community members can fill these roles and how they might be different from the ways that we traditionally view citizenship design or risk taking? Um, so I think that one thing that we focus on in the book is that, you know, we, there's a lot of talking about the top whole idea of our students being creative and innovative, but then we don't provide 
how to do that. We provide, you know, the fact that it needs to be done. We don't specifically tell them, you know, how can we help our students? And not only our students, but our teachers and everyone involved with the students be innovative designers, digital citizens, um, risk takers. So within our book, we describe lots of different ways that teachers, administrators, family members, and community members can, can do these things. And we, and actually another really nice thing that we, we found while we were doing this is that we collected stories from teachers. So teachers, and oh, not only teachers, community members and people involved with students, there are so many different ideas that people are already doing. We just need to provide a way for these ideas to be shared with others so that they can do these things too. So I think the key is not only should we expect um, our students to be this way, we also have to expect our schools, communities, and families to learn how to, you know, take some risks and model how to to do these things and how to be a digital citizen, not just talk about it. They actually have to be it and model it as well. Can you give some examples for ways that teachers have modeled that um, so that parents and students can take this on, take on these roles themselves? Off the top of my head, um, I'm thinking, so for example, when a teacher is trying out something new in their classroom, so a new technology, for instance, let the students know, you know, this is something new that I'm trying. I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but, you know, we're just going to try this together and more, you know, be more collaborative and, and open about that. Um, also, when it comes to things like makerspaces, you know, actually have, you know, have makerspace events where you invite the community in to interact and make along with the students and the teachers. So, and we've actually done this in, um, in higher education. So we take our teacher education students and we have large events and we call them makerspace events and we invite the community, we invite families in and we make together, we create together. And I think the more that we do those kind of things, the more that we'll encourage, you know, everyone to be innovative designers and risk takers. And then even this whole idea of sharing our ideas with one another, that's how they can, you know, get ideas of, of what to do. Can you speak a little bit to why these dispositions are, uh, why you see them as being so important nowadays? Um, so like, what is a makerspace? Why would a school want to have one? Um, I think that the, the skills that, that children or students, uh, adolescents, that they build in makerspaces are skills that they're going to need you know, when they enter the 21st century workplace. You know, we're, we are preparing our students now for jobs that don't exist yet. And we see this in a lot of the startups. So, you know, 15 years ago, a lot of students never thought, oh, I'm going to work at a startup. I'm going to be the chief innovative engineer or whatever job titles are out now. So in a makerspace, they're learning flexibility. They're learning creativity. They're learning how to take a variety of materials and sort of make something that could be useful. So they're learning soft skills. They're learning how to communicate with others. Usually in a makerspace, it's not one person at a table. It's a group of people. So by having a makerspace, you're building soft skills, you're building critical career skills that are going to be so important for these students to have as they enter the workplace for whatever job is going to be available to them once they get there. 
What would you say are some high quality aspects of a makerspace or a steam class? So I think, well, first of all, I believe in starting out small so that if somebody doesn't yet have that, it can be overwhelming thinking I'm never going to be able to to do this. Like how, how am I going to have the resources? So we believe Stephanie and I, and we, you know, talk about this when we do professional development, when we talk with our teacher education students, we believe a makerspace can be anything around you, if that makes sense. So, so it's really not so much what you have and, and how much money and resources that you have. It's, it's this whole idea of um, fostering this creativity and innovation. And, and being resourceful within within what you already have. So, you know, we'll we'll say, look around you and and see what you have, and then create that makerspace. So, I start out small. So, uh, in in the book, there's a picture of my makerspace, which is in my office, which is a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf are all the different different kinds of open ended materials, toolboxes, and you know, different different things where where my students who are teacher educators can explore and, um, and create and make. So I, I really think it's, it's more about this whole mindset of, of opening up for creativity. In your conversations with um, the teachers who you are training to go out into the field and work in, in public schools, what do they share with you about what, what is most easy or most challenging for them to implement as far as makerspaces and uh, innovative classroom design? I would say the, the easiest thing is the excitement of the children. So when they're in each week, um, in one of the classes that I teach, they're actually testing different technology tools, major faces projects uh, for either just learning or for assessment purposes. And one of the biggest things um, is that the children are always open and excited for the new technology to come into the classroom. Um, the, on the opposite side of that, one of the challenges is sometimes technology doesn't work or for the first time there's just that onboarding process and that can be frustrating because in today's time, students are used to things um, being automatic. They're used to things happening quickly. And sometimes when you're rolling out these new projects, these new ideas, this new technology, you have to sort of work through it. Uh, but um, we know we tell our students that that's just a part of this process, trying things. Even if it fails, that's a part of it. You want to talk about why did it fail and how could you do it differently. Uh, we talk about um, we talk about this a lot in the book, and we have something called a possibility thinking card. And instead of just doing things the one way that you would normally do it, we ask questions about well, what would happen if you took something away. Or if you added something, so what are the possibilities? Sort of going beyond what is the norm, getting away from fixedness. Well, actually, one one thing I was thinking too is another challenge is that what I find is that there are no maker spaces, and there is this isn't happening in a lot of schools. So, again, that's where I would say a teacher can start small. I'm going back to this whole idea of starting small because I know what it's like not to have resources and. Um, but it's still possible, if, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's a big challenge. Like, you know, we're talking about these things, we're encouraging them, but if the students aren't seeing them, how can they be the ones that implement this kind of stuff in their classroom without money and without, you know, the actual resources? They can, they can actually do it. 
Do you find um, from the classroom teachers that you're in contact with that they are the ones starting this in their own classrooms on a small scale before they spread to a larger makerspace on their school campus? I do. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times when, I, when we're talking about this, and I don't know, Stephanie, you experienced this, but they haven't heard of it or they, they haven't, they don't know what it is. I mean, so I think there's still a little too much of that where I'd like to see it more where people are like, of course, yes, we have that, you know, this is, this is, um, this is what's going on. But yeah, if they don't have it, then, then they can start small. They can make, you know, a steam boxes or another thing, you know, they can have little boxes. And we talk about this in the book too, um, where, you know, you maybe they won't have a whole bookshelf, but they might start with these little small boxes of items that the students can manipulate and use that are related to STEAM. What do you find to be the biggest misconceptions about technology in K-12 schools from either parents or teachers or administrators? Uh, probably that the teachers are just using technology just for the sake of using it and that there's no actual educative benefit to it. And how would you advise teachers to, to kind of address that misconception? One of the great ways to address it is through uh, the SAMR model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the SAMR model really helps teachers use technology in very purposeful and intentional ways. And they move from just replacing or augmenting um, technology. So, for example, instead of having children or students write a paper by hand, they would use a word processing system to to type it out and then print out their paper or upload it uh, to a learning management system. I mean, that's a basic use, but it's still still valuable because it's more efficient. Uh, Students can make more corrections through the writing process. And it moves all the way up to, like, really redefining learning through technology use where you're doing things with technology that was not once possible without it. So mm-hmm. we talk, you know, we're talking a lot today just about community building and the importance of getting different perspectives and really getting parents involved. And there are a lot of different events at schools that parents may not be able to attend because of work obligations. Well, with technology, they could Skype in. You could record the events and put it on YouTube. Parents could leave comments. So I think moving through a system like the SAMR model and attaching the technology used to learning and making sure that teachers use it purposefully and intentionally to impact teaching and learning, then they don't have to really worry about the more um, skeptics who say, well, you're just using technology just, just to use it because it's there and it has no educative value to it. So if readers could have just one takeaway from your book, what would you hope that it would be? The takeaway I would hope is that start children young with making, um, exploring, being creative and innovative. So the younger we start, and even um, we talk in the book about um, systematic inventive thinking and design thinking. These are things that you can start at a very young age with young learners. So we feel that that is definitely a huge takeaway. And also involving families and the community while you're trying to do this involve everyone. I think that my, my takeaway is pretty similar to what Laura stated. And is that, yes, I do believe that some people are just naturally talented and some people are uh, adept to being creative, but 
I believe that all students, all people have some type of creativity and innovative thinking in them if it's nurtured. If it's nurtured through the schools, through teachers, through their families, and through their communities, we can bring things out. So it's important to actually provide students with opportunities to develop their critical, creative, and innovative thinking. And we only can really do that effectively if we involve the schools, the communities, and the, and the parents all together as one. Well, Laura and Stephanie, we're almost out of time. So I had just a couple of more questions to ask you. Um, first, what are a few other books you might recommend to our listeners if they enjoy reading Nurturing Young Innovators and have also enjoyed our conversation today? So uh, the first book I, I was thinking about is um, Drew Boyd wrote the foreword foreword for a book, and um, he is the author of Inside the Box, a Proven System for Creativity for Breakthrough Results. And within that book, they talk more about the systematic inventive thinking that we talk a little bit about in our book. So I think that's really, if anyone was interested in learning more about that. Um, also, Steam Makers by Maslick is a really good one. Um, Digital, Digital Citizenship in Action by, I think it's Mattson. And then the Fostering Resilient Learners. So we also talk a lot about, you know, how can we create this trauma-sensitive classroom so I think that that's a really important thing that teachers need to do. And then I also want to say our first book, Teaching the Four Seeds with Technology, How Do You Use 21st Century Tools to Teach 21st Century Skills, is another really good resource that can help provide specific examples of ways to um, integrate the four Cs. Worlds of Making uh, by Laura Fleming is a good book about the maker movement, uh, STEAM and STEM, robotics, project-based learning, and The Wonder Wall by Peter Gamwell talks about really how schools and teachers can lead uh, creativity and innovation in school. Finally, can you tell us a little bit about your next project and how our listeners can follow your work? Oh, yeah. So, like, right now we just uh, started, um, I mean, we're still working on, you know, staying with the creativity and innovation and everything, and we're talking about how our students um, really have the capacity to do great things and how we can help teachers sort of focus their activities and assignments and lessons to bring um, to, to bring uh, students thinking about entrepreneurship and what they're going to do when they leave uh, the K-12 setting. I think we definitely want to do a little bit more research and get our teacher educators implementing a lot of these things in the classroom so that we can talk more about different ways teachers can do that as well. That sounds like important work. And I want to thank you for being on our show today. Thank you. Thank you so much.